I'm sure that clap. I just, uh, I just assumed that's what that was. You know, I, encouragement. You know, you got to think positive, right? I mean, you got to have a positive attitude in this old world. Uh, uh, one of our uh, members, I'm not sure that he is able to be here today or not, but uh, our brother Howard Johnson is celebrating uh, 90 years. He had 90 years old birthday yesterday, and so. If you're uh, online or here today, why well, we celebrate you. And no, he said he he got a lot of phone calls in the early days about reservations when there used to be a Howard Johnson's here. He said, but that's that's not him. So he doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't have the, he's not in the hotel business. Well, welcome to our services, and we're so glad that you're here. Our live stream audience, our fellowship center, all of our different folks are here. Glad you're here today, brother Joseph. Come on up. Brother Joseph Shulam is here. Joseph, uh, this ministry in Jerusalem, and we have uh, partnered with him for a number of years uh, with uh, World Radio, now One Kingdom, and uh, he has, always has such great insights uh, and and such a good scholar. And we're honored to have you with us today, brother. And we want to have a word of prayer, and we're going to let you share with us today. Father in heaven, thank you for my brother here. Thank you, Father, for bringing him our way. Thank you, Father, for the ministry that he does all over the world. Uh, what an honor it is to uh, be partners together, be brothers together. Thank you for that unity. And I love his emphasis on unity, Father. Uh, grateful for his teaching. So bless him today as he shares with our church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well... Thank you very much to Wise Ferry Road and to World Radio for years of partnering together in preaching the gospel through the radio and through uh, now through more modern media like the Internet and Facebook and uh, YouTube and all these other modern tools. We appreciate the partnership, uh, long-standing years of partnership, and uh, I feel like I'm in Japan because in Japan they put these clocks that come down and down and down, and if you don't stop right in the minute, they just turn the mic off. <laughs> but I hope that uh, you're going to show this Jew a little bit more grace than turning the mic off. I did not choose the topic, and I would have never chosen this topic. Uh, I was asked to teach from Matthew chapter 19 and 20. And these are uh, very, very important texts. I love them, but uh, they're not easy to uh, deal with because of all the controversies that have been, you know, churning around the evangelical world for years now about divorce and remarriage and all these things that this text brings. But, I am going to be obedient and teach uh, this text. Now, the context of this text is very, very important. It starts with the phrase that Pharisees came to test Jesus. And so, when you're dealing with testing... 
it's not always an objective situation. Because the people who want to test you, they could want to see if you are standing the test, if you're okay. Or they could want to trip you in the test. And the traditional interpretation of this text is that they wanted to, to trip Jesus. And in one of the examples of testing, in Matthew we have several texts which the Pharisees come and the Herodians come and the Sadducees come. They want to test Jesus. So, first of all, the idea of testing somebody could be a positive thing. They could, they, they could find out what does this rabbi Jesus uh, teaches? Where does he stand on some of the hottest issues of that time? And the truth is that uh, the issue of marriage and divorce was the hottest issue in the first half of the first century A.D., there were two, in the Supreme Court of Israel, Sanhedrin, there were never one judge at the top. There were always two judges in the top. And in the time of Jesus, there was a switch. Before uh, the ministry of Jesus started, there was two judges. One was Hillel who was uh, born in Babylon and immigrated to Israel. When I say born in Babylon, if I was comparing it to what's happening today, I would say he was born in New York. And he immigrated to Israel, Hillel. He was the grandfather of Paul's teacher, Gamliel. Gamliel was the grandson of Hillel. And there was another guy named Menachem. Or the way it's translated in English, Menahin. And this guy was actually mentioned in the book of Acts. Menahin was raised in Jerusalem together with Herod. And he was a friend of Herod during childhood. And when Herod was a child, Menahin, his friend, prophesied that he will be king. And this Menahem is mentioned in the book of Acts. He's one of the elders of the church of Antioch. One of the elders of the church in Antioch was at one time a Supreme Court judge in Jerusalem that became a disciple of Jesus and moved out of Jerusalem, probably because of persecution, went to Antioch, where the, the, the disciples were first called Christians in Acts. He mentioned in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, is one of the elders of the church in Antioch. This same in Ahim, you can find him in Josephus, you can find him in rabbinical writings, in the Talmud, and in other places. And so, Menahem left, and in his place came Shammai, and Shammai and Hillel disagreed on the interpretation of the text of Deuteronomy chapter 24. The text of Deuteronomy chapter 24 says that if you find something, something unseemly in your wife, 
You can divorce her. And there are two words, something and unseemly. And these two judges, Supreme Court judges, one was putting the stress on something or anything, and the other one was putting the stress on unseemly, which the Hebrew word implies sexual immorality. And that was the big argument of the day. And the disciples of, of, uh, of Jesus and Jesus confronted by the Pharisees were asked, what do you think about this situation? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus uh, is dealing with this great controversy of his day, one of the hardest controversies of his day, the very top of the legal system in Jerusalem. And uh, he says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except the sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. Okay. How do we interpret this statement? Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses, or the law, the Torah, or God, permitted divorce. Is it indictment of the Jews or the Pharisees of his day? Or is it a praise of God? I propose to you that the words of Jesus in this text that I read now from Matthew chapter 19, verse 8 and 9, are in praise of God, not in condemnation of the people. Because what does this text say? It says, look how gracious God is that even if you are hard people, He still takes your side. He still bends the law in order to accommodate your weaknesses. I know that this is a different way of looking than you're used to looking at it. But how do I know that this is the right way? I know that this is the right way because in the same chapter we have three cases of testing. And in all the three cases, God is showing His mercy and His patience with His children. And like He showed that kind of patience with the children of Israel, He is showing that kind of patience for His Christian children. For us today, He is much more gracious than we think He is. He is a lot more loving than we imagine possible. And He knows His children. And like any, any good father, sometimes He has to be very patient and uh, accommodating to his children, even when he thinks that sometimes not wise, sometimes he's not the best. But we give in to our children. And God, Jesus said, God gave in to your 
mistakes gave in to your, you know, inclinations. And he bent the law. When it says Moses allowed it, it doesn't mean Moses as a person. Moses as a messenger and representative and leader appointed by God on the children of Israel. He means the law, the Torah, allowed it. Allowed it means that you can do it, but you, you shouldn't do it, but you can do it and God will be understanding with you. That's what this text says. And, and, you know, sometimes we, when we interpret the Word of God, are much harsher than God is to us. A lot harsher. And, and, and many families have been destroyed because people didn't understand the text. And the reason they didn't understand the text, because they didn't go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 to deal with the text, the original text, the original question that is involved. They didn't look at the context in Deuteronomy. They just took the words and applied them with harshness that God himself did not have because God allowed it. Yes, God allowed it. And he allowed it because he understood we are, you know, hard-hearted people. He is much more gracious to us than we are gracious towards each other. The second case in chapter 19 is also very, very interesting. The disciples come to Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, their savior, the son of God, God in the flesh. They come to him and say, Drive these little children away from you. They're bothersome. And Jesus tells them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belong for, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And and this is again the same paradigm as the previous t- case. The disciples think that they're protecting Jesus from the bothersome children. And Jesus says, no. It is this, these children who are the future. It is these children who need to come to me. I want them to come to me. I wish that they would come to me. They don't bother me. Because the future, the kingdom of God, the future of the kingdom of God is in their hands. And if I as the rabbi, as the teacher, as the savior, as the redeemer, don't have patience for them, when they grow up, they're not going to have patience for me. So the same paradigm, the disciples want to be hard, want to be harsh, want to, under the umbrella of protecting Jesus from being bothered from the children, Jesus says, no, you're wrong. Disciples, you're wrong. I want the children to come unto me. I care for the children to come unto me. This is the future of the kingdom of God. 
The third case in chapter 19, a man, a man comes to him and says, Rabbi. The word teacher means rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a rabbi from the very beginning of his ministry. Right after the 40 days and nights of being tested in the Judean desert. In hunger and in thirst. By the devil. He returns to the Galilee in Luke chapter 2. And I think it's verse 21. It says that he went to all, all the synagogues in the Galilee. And he taught in the synagogues in the Galilee. And when the people heard him, they were amazed and praised God. That's in Luke chapter 2. What does it mean he went to all the synagogues in the Galilee? I was invited here to come by the leadership of this church. The second time in eight years. I wouldn't have come here and stood at the pulpit and shared from the Word of God if I wasn't invited, right? If a stranger comes in now in the door, you're not going to invite him and say, come, teach us, preach to us, because he's a stranger. So if you invite somebody to your synagogue to teach, it means that you respect him, you trust him, you appreciate what he is going to teach. You feel that he has authority, right? Otherwise... All the synagogues would not have invited him. Am I right? You only invite somebody you trust. And, and, and this is a, a paradigm shift from the traditional Catholic, Roman Catholic anti-Semitic attitude. Because they read the text, but they only choose those texts that seem to imply that the Jews were negative toward Jesus. But the Pharisees were not negative toward Jesus, and they never were. They tested him. And when you test somebody, you could test him wishing that he will fail, and you could test him wishing that he will succeed. And we have examples in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 22, that they came to test him, and he answered their questions, and they walked away, please, from his answers. And even after his death, burial, and resurrection, we have examples in Jewish rabbinical literature where disciples of Jesus were also tested in the same way. And they also passed the test. So much so that they actually, very famous rabbis, became disciples of Jesus. Like this Menahem, that was the Supreme Court judge. But there are others as well. After the death, burial, and resurrection, ascension of Jesus, his reputation as a great rabbi continued in the Jewish world. If you want to find out, go to YouTube, write uh, Joseph Shulam, Lanier Library. You'll hear a lecture where I explain about three great rabbis, famous rabbis, that became disciples of Jesus. Even after his death, burial, and resurrection, and sitting at the right hand of God. So in this case, this, this uh, lawyer, this teacher, this man comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, it's also a kind of 
tricky questions. And how, did, how, how does Jesus answer this man? He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. That, that's the answer that Jesus gives this man. Keep the commandments. And if you follow this phrase, keep the commandments... In the Gospels, you would be amazed. Because Jesus never said, don't keep the commandments. And Paul never said, don't keep the commandments. This is somehow uh, uh, the Christian world in Europe, in the medieval period, and even earlier in the church fathers in the 4th century, twisted the words of Jesus emphasized only half of the truth and told people you don't have to keep the commandments where we have the letter of James that says that we not need to keep the commandments of Jesus. We get, don't get saved by keeping the commandments. Nobody ever got saved by keeping the commandments. If you want to see the law, in the law of Moses it says that, in the prophets it says that, in Isaiah chapter 1 it says that, in Jeremiah chapter 7 it says that, in Hosea chapter 6 it says that. You know, mercy is greater than sacrifice is the words of Hosea. And Isaiah chapter 1 tells you, uh, God says to the people, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't come to my house, to the temple, don't trample my court. I'm not interested in your keeping of the Sabbath or in your sacrifices or in your keeping the holidays or, or all these things. What I really want is having a relationship with you. And if I have a relationship with you, everything is acceptable. Your holidays and your gifts and your sacrifices and your dedication, everything is acceptable. But if I don't have a relationship with you, I don't need you. I don't need your buildings. I don't... Paul preached that in Athens in chapter 17. I, I don't need your gold, your silver, your building, your worship, your sacrifices, anything. Because the whole thing is about having a relationship. Having a, a, a trust. Having a communion with you. That was the Old Testament paradigm and it's the New Testament paradigm. And that's what he, Jesus tells this, this man. He says, hey, I'm not interested in you giving me grades, grading me good or not good or great or not great. That's not my interest. What I'm interested in is keep the commandments. I'm, listen, I'm going to be a little bit mean, but uh, it's okay. I'm leaving today. <laughs> it's a hit and run situation. Uh, look, we have commandments that Jesus gave us. One commandment that in, in this church, I, I, you're okay. I didn't see it. But I visited many, many of the big churches in, in Europe and in the United States and in South America and in many places. And in many of the churches, they ignore the 
one of the most ignored commandments is how to give to the Lord. Just when you give, let your right hand not know what the left hand is doing. Yeah? Give in secret. Right? So that the men will see you and praise you. That's wrong. When you give to God and to charity and to good, give it so that you will get the credit in heaven, not down here on earth by your fellow men. But in many of the churches, from, from passing the basket, but that's halfway okay. But in many of the churches, you have to come to the front and they have a big box and, 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 and they put the envelope, they stand in line to put, and everybody sees if you got up and went into line and put, 10% of the envelopes are empty. The people go to the front with the envelope, and then because they're ashamed that somebody's going to see them that they're not giving. Yeah? And that's why Jesus said, when you give, give secretly. You know? You never, if you go to a synagogue, any synagogue, reform, conservative, or orthodox, you are not going to see giving. They give, there's a box somewhere in the corner, and each one in his own free time puts the, the money or the envelope inside, and, and I can guarantee you that the percentage of giving in a, in a synagogue, Jewish synagogue, is higher than the average percentage of giving in, in, in churches. Yeah, because it's given from the heart, it's given in secret. Nobody knows how much you gave or how much you know gave. Unless you write a check, they know, but they ignore your name anyway. So, there's lots of such commandments in the New Testament that we ignore. Yeah, one of the commandments, for example, that the, that the churches ignore and churches of Christ also, is there is a command for the Gentiles to keep the Passover. A command. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, keep the Passover, for Christ is our Passover. It doesn't say, don't keep because Christ is our Passover. It says, keep the Passover because Christ is our Passover. Command. Emphatic. Yeah? But, but Jesus tells this, this, this guy that is asking... You want to be saved? Keep the commandments. The commandments don't save you. I repeat that. Your relationship, your faithfulness, your relationship with Jesus and with God, that's what saves you. But the commandments are just to show that you care. That you accept Jesus as your teacher, as your Savior, as your guide, how to live. So here in chapter... 19, we see these three examples. The question of the divorce, which affirms that God is patient with you, that He gives, that He bends the law in order to enable your proclivity and your weakness and the hardness of your heart. The second one is the children, that also shows God's patience with us. And the third one is also very similar paradigm where this man comes and says, what do I need to be saved, to do to be saved? 
What does it show? It means that the man cares. He wants to be saved. And if he didn't believe that he can be saved, he wouldn't have come and asked that question. So the man came to ask the question because he cared and he wanted to know. And he says, okay, you want to be saved? Here is what you do. The apostles in Acts chapter 15 did the same thing for the Gentiles. They said, you want to be saved? You want to have fellowship with us? Okay, here is the minimum that you need to do. Four things you need to do. That's the minimum. And then, in verse 21 in chapter 15, it says, Go on the Sabbath to the synagogue to hear the word of God being read. Why did they send them to the synagogue? Because nobody had Bibles on their iPhones like we do. And nobody had Bibles in their hand like books like we do. And the only place that you could hear the Word of God and study the Word of God is in the synagogue because you know how much a scroll of the law of five books of Moses cost today if you want to to have one? $90,000, Because it's a, a year's work for a scribe to write it by hand from Genesis all the way to Malachi. No, from Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy only, $90,000. If you want the rest of the prophets, is another $90,000. So people didn't have Bibles at that time, only the community had a Bible. And the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, not eunuch, the Ethiopian minister of, of finance for the, the Ethiopian queen bought a book of Isaiah which was also a very, very expensive proposition. Probably also a few tens of thousands of dollars worth of, of book of Isaiah. So, people didn't have Bibles. They were sent to the public place where the Bible was being read every Sabbath. And the Gentiles were sent there too to hear the Word of God. So, we have this uh, three stories in chapter 19 and they have a, a silver thread running through them. And the silver thread is how patient God is with us. How forgiving is God for our weaknesses. And how, how much God wants us and our children to be close to Him. That's, that's the silver thread running through chapter 19 of the Gospel of Matthew. I want, uh, I, how much time do I have? I don't have any more time, right? Okay, just a few more minutes, by grace. We go by grace, not by law. The idea, this idea of, of uh, the interpretation of the text in Deuteronomy about the divorce is uh, a very painful I, situation in the evangelical world. And, and I think it's important for us to understand when Jesus says to the Pharisees, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed it. It's not something that it's wonderful. 
Because it would be more wonderful if you didn't divorce. In any case, if you forgave and tried to rebuild your marriage, because every pair has a, a stim, has a reason, and if there is divorce, there's never one side only guilty. It's always some guilt shared by both sides. And I learned from this text about the grace of God. Moses allowed, God in the law of Moses allowed it. And that's why there is a muddled type of text. Something unseemly. One of the rabbis stressed on something, on, which means anything. And the other rabbi said, no. Shammai said, no, only for something the unseemly, something that is sexually perverse that allows you to divorce. And Jesus said, Moses allowed it, allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. And we need to do two things in this respect. One is, be gracious. Understand the pain, the difficulty, the, the destruction of a family when it comes to divorce. And we need to do everything we can as a community to support that family and, and help them overcome the problem and not divorce. But if they do divorce, we need to understand that, yes... Moses allowed it. God allowed it in the law of Moses. And we need to work with these people rather than destroy their family and drive them out away from church and away from God by our harshness. And so with this I want to say thank you again for your patience and for your graciousness. I wouldn't have chosen this topic, but I was glad to be able to share it with you with God's grace. Thank you very much and keep praying for Jerusalem and for, for Israel and stand with Israel in this uh, time, very difficult time in Israeli politics and the, and the situation there with our neighbors. So God bless all of you. Pray for us and thank you for your support.